To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Thursday, December 1st. If there's one group of people in crypto who are booked and busy this year, it's bankruptcy lawyers. In 2022 alone, we've seen bankruptcy filings from the hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, the lender Celsius, the broker Voyager Digital, and even more recently, Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX ecosystem and another crypto lender known as BlockFi. According to court documents, the various parts of FTX could have more than a million creditors, people or entities who are owed money in some way. And FTX had even committed to buying the assets of Voyager Digital in an auction, which, of course, is no longer possible. In other words, as with the Three Arrows bankruptcy, which arguably precipitated the chaos at Celsius and Voyager, the fall of FTX is having a similar domino effect. Here to break down the latest bankruptcy developments is Bloomberg reporter and editor Jeremy Hill. At some point, one of these bankruptcy judges will have to be the unlucky first to say, Money is this, mm. cryptocurrency is money, or vice versa, and that will have some bearing on how crypto is treated in future bankruptcy cases. Jeremy, welcome back to the podcast. Why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience? Right. I'm Jeremy Hill. I'm a reporter and editor on the Distressed Debt and Bankruptcy team here at Bloomberg News. And lately, I've been writing a lot about crypto. Possibly more than you were expecting. Maybe a little bit more. Now, we've had you on the show before when there were some previous bankruptcies. It seems like there's been way more <laughs> than, than we had. I mean, I don't normally associate like distressed debt stuff with having to work on weekends. But, you know, welcome, welcome to crypto. What have been some of the things that have been keeping you busy? Well, yeah, you referenced our earlier bankruptcies. Those were Voyager and Celsius. These were names that were like pretty big for what they were. And they were super notable because they were some of the first real big crypto lending company collapses. But just a couple of weeks ago, we got the big one, the really big one, perhaps FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy under chaotic circumstances. And as someone who's been covering federal insolvency court for a few years, I can tell you I have never seen a filing as chaotic as this. No one was ready. Nothing was there. Now, okay, I love the idea of a court filing being chaotic. <laughs> can, can you tell us a little bit more? As you, as you, a reporter who's, who reads these literally for your job, is going through and reading this, what were some of the things that jumped out for you? Well, the big thing was the lack of information, right? Usually when a company files for bankruptcy, they come prepared with a slate of what we call first day motions. This is really boring stuff. These are requests 
made to a federal judge in the U.S. to continue doing things like pay employees, keep paying your insurance companies, keep paying utilities so that you can keep the lights on in the office. These are typically lined up a couple of weeks in advance because it's just like a lot of lawyering to do. You have to write the, 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 the papers and make sure that everything is spelled right. When FTX filed, it was just a petition, right? They, they filled out this form that says, we are FTX and 100 related entities. We have somewhere between 10 billion and 50 billion dollars. It's not really clear. There's literally a, a checkbox. It's the largest one on the sheet that says, 10 billion to 50 billion dollars of assets and the same for liabilities. That's all we had for uh, several hours and then hours turned into days. So, you know, Jeremy, one of the weirder parts about this filing, speaking of Enron, was something that John J. Ray III himself said. Right. So John J. Ray III, the new CEO of FTX, he opens his first day declaration, the statement designed to introduce the judge to the case by saying, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete lack of trustworthy financial information. The important thing to underscore is that this is the dude who oversaw the liquidation of Enron, the massive accounting scandal where most everything was made up and there were a lot of lies. Just because this is not a video podcast, I need you all to understand that Jeremy was just like not even reading that quote off of anything. It was just seared into his brain from the weirdness of it all. That was terrific. Among the other bonkers things that we've discussed as it relates to this case is like, what is going on with the hidden creditors? There, there are these laws in Europe uh, related to customer privacy on the internet. I don't understand them fully, but a big part of the argument here is FTX has customers all over the world. And if they were to disclose the names of these big customers, if they're in Europe, they might be violating laws somewhere else. So the judge said the very first hearing, he sort of hand waved and went, that sounds complicated. We'll revisit that. For now, you don't have to list out your creditors. But there's a big presumption of transparency in U.S. bankruptcy court. So we'll be back on December 16th, back in the Delaware courtroom, where an arm of the Justice Department is expected to argue that the creditor list should be made public. You know, maybe there'll be some sort of settlement where they redact, like, physical addresses right. or something. Now, this reminds me of, I think it was early October when... Celsius's creditor list was made public and it was like pages and pages and pages. It was tens of thousands of pages of essentially people's names and their addresses and I think their account balances. And there was a sort of a similar outcry in some circles about about privacy. Usually if a company goes bust, so like let's say pick random company that I'm not going to name because I don't want to get sued for defamation. If large company goes bust, and I am a customer. Does my name somehow end up in court? Like, why is it that these customers or these people are ending up there? Is it because they're also creditors? That's pretty much it. In a normal situation, you might end up with your information out there if you file a claim, like if you're owed a refund or something. Mm -hmm. But just being a customer of a bankrupt company usually doesn't put any of your information at risk of being exposed. But in this case, the customers ended up being the creditors. And since this whole process is about finding a way to... Uh, figure out a fair repayment plan for creditors, you necessarily have to turn over some information. That's just a part of the deal. Those customers slash creditors represent billions of dollars in potential claims, right? Like this is a large, as you say, this is a large bankruptcy. This is extremely large. I mean, we don't even, to my knowledge, have a complete list of or a complete accounting of the number of customers. I have seen the lawyers say, possibly more than a million. Mm -hmm. I've seen 
millions. I've seen hundreds of thousands. This thing is such a mess. It's unclear exactly how many people we're talking about here. Right. And going back to the incredibly well-named John J. Ray III, one of the things that he said is he couldn't even figure out who was on payroll. Yes, it was difficult to determine how many employees there were, what the terms of their employment were, where they were located. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you say, not a lot of information. We'll be right back with more from Bloomberg reporter and bankruptcy expert Jeremy Hill. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, you mentioned Celsius and Voyager at the top. There's been this sort of weird ripple effect of the FTX bankruptcy in which they were also trying to rescue the assets of Voyager at one point. What happened there? Well, that, that, that's a really sad story for Voyager customers because uh, the lawyers did a pretty good job of figuring out some sort of a plan. The plan involved selling the company and its assets to Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX. They seemed to hold out hope for a while when reports of FTX's insolvency were coming out. The, the company Voyager didn't say much about whether the sale would still go forward, but now they've confirmed that there is no deal with FTX. So they've sort of reopened the sale process. We know that a company called Crosstower, which I understand operates a crypto exchange, is considering bidding once more for mm -hmm. Voyager, as well as, as another company called Wave Financial. Nothing's final yet. I'm sure there are lots of late night phone calls going on right now. So many late night phone calls, so many lawyers, so many legal fees. And then just in the past couple of weeks, we've also seen BlockFi, which is another crypto lender, file for bankruptcy. One of the things about the BlockFi filing that I thought was interesting is that they tried to position themselves as being like the opposite of FTX in some ways. They certainly did, yes. And that uh, that first day statement, similar to the one made by the new CEO of FTX, we had an advisor for BlockFi who was recently brought in laying out, well, okay, we're bankrupt now because FTX went bust. That's a problem because they were supposed to rescue us. But rest assured, 
we did not behave the way that they behave. We have great corporate governance. We have internal controls that monitor our spending, and we are super prepared. In fact, I mean, it wasn't all bluster. They filed a Chapter 11 plan of reorganization on the very first day of the case. I tried to read that document. It's very hard to understand. <laughs> and actually, BlockFi is in court right now as we're recording this, presenting uh, these first-day motions to the judge and explaining where the case will go from here. It does seem much more controlled than FTX. One thing about BlockFi and this advisor statement about, like, we were doing everything right, they owe the SEC money. That's true, yes. There's a, there's a settlement. Uh, $30 million still owed to the Securities and Exchange Commission. For being pretty much, like, naughty at one point. They had to pay $100 million in penalties originally. That, that, that's my general understanding, but they did engage with the SEC. They, they were together in a room. They were not hiding on some islands somewhere. There's a lot of people hiding on islands right now. <laughs> and definitely some people hiding on places that made islands in Dubai. You know, you know who you are. Call us. Just one, I guess, final set of questions, because you alluded to the fact that, you know, so much about crypto is unusual. Are there any legal precedents that are either being set here or that are potentially going to be set here that may affect other elements of bankruptcy in the U.S.? Here's something that I find very interesting. In BlockFi's first day papers, buried in a what is called a, a motion for continued use of cash management systems, boring. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a line in there that says, roughly I'm paraphrasing, Cryptocurrency is not money, and no U.S. court or regulatory agency has said it is money. This is something that's important because bankruptcy rules uh, sometimes reference, quote, money and how it is to be handled. And so at some point, one of these bankruptcy judges will have to be the unlucky first to say, money is this, mm. cryptocurrency is money, or vice versa. And that will have some bearing on how crypto is treated in future bankruptcy cases. Huge. I guess so. Wow. Well, Jeremy, it is always a pleasure. Thank you for making me feel like I understand the law slightly better. Thank you for having me. You can find more of Jeremy's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And you can check out our twice-weekly newsletter, which is also called Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Barrero. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow.
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.